This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, another episode of Poetry in Motion. It is me, Neil Fitz, of course, joining me. We've got the, we've got the big guns joining us uh, for this Poetry in Motion. So good to be back. Thanks for sticking with us. And whatever you're doing, I hope you're staying safe uh, and l- listening to us. Can you walk the dogs? I think you still walk dogs. Dogs are tier two, we're tier three, so you have to you have to walk them uh, with a three-metre lead. <laughs> and I'm talking nonsense already, two minutes in. 28 seconds in, and I'm talking nonsense. I'm joined by Paul Ghost and Joe Rimmer, the heavy, the big guns of the Liverpool <laughs> Echo. How are you doing, guys? Not bad. Glad to be back on Poetry in Motion. I think that's the first one we've done since March, was it? April? It is. Um, it is. Well, yeah, it is. The first one you've been a part of, certainly, mate. Yeah, yeah. so uh, glad yeah. to be back on, yeah. And you, yeah. Joe? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, same, same as yeah. It's been a, it's been a while, hasn't it? But good to see it you has, again. It's it, it been, been a while. To you. But I don't know about you... the heavies. If you stacked one, two of me on top of each other, we might just make a poor ghost. But um, yeah, he's no, the real heavy. I meant more in stature than anything else. I meant more in <laughs> reputation. In reputation, in reputation. Um, uh, obviously, we're on a Zoom call, but you can't see it. You're just listening to us, but you 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 get to um, you get to avoid the sight that it's in front of me now. To <laughs> What I can only call slobs, to be quite frankly, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, I usually used to I used to do these poetry motions by bringing chocolate in. So there's some chocolate for you there, lads. I'll be, I'll be eating that on your on your account <laughs> during the course of it. All right, let's get going. Uh, laughter over. The laughter stops right now because we're going to obviously just um, do a brief recap of the nightmare that was the derby. Goodison derbies are never known to uh, to bring uh, a lot of. A lot of good cheer. Uh, this one was an absolute horror story uh, for many, many reasons. I'm not going to even go into it that much. We know the result. We know what happened. We will talk about the outcome and the fallout, of course, because it's catastrophic, uh, potentially. Um, I mean, I'll get his opinion. Just just forget the results. Forget all that kind of thing. The one the one positive thing I took out of it, boys, was the, was the uh, Liverpool boss the game and, and, and looked like... The Liverpool that we all knew they were, but obviously after the shock of the uh, the Villa game, we wanted a bit of a bounce back and we got it. And then um, I was pleased to see how well we bossed the game. I was also quite pleased and relieved to see how not much of a change there was from the blue side, I'll be honest with you. I mean, another doing very well and, and whatever. But, um, results aside, but we've got to just briefly discuss the uh, the, the Jordan Pickford challenge because... Um, it's one thing to get away with on the day, but the retrospective FA decision to not do anything about it, it disgusted me. I don't know what you lads think. Paul, I'll go with you first. Yeah, it's it's incredible how a player can make such a reckless challenge like that. I mean, if it was a centre-back putting in a tackle like that, you'd be questioning why he's decided to do it. But when you're the goalkeeper, who, who obviously doesn't play outfield, you've got no kind of reference point to, to think that you can make that tackle because it's, it's just so... Wild and, and reckless, and for the officials not to—I mean, there's been loads of conflicting reports over what was seen and what wasn't. But essentially, Pickford's done it, and he's got away with it. And the referee hasn't spotted it, the VAR hasn't spotted it, the assistant hasn't, uh, and the FA are deciding not to um, to bring in retrospective action. And look, do take a ban Pickford for three games or five games or whatever, which wouldn't really cut any ice with Liverpool supporters because they're still without their main man at the back for the season or whatever. But it's just the fact that it sends a message that, you know, if if it's offside, then you can run up and, and end someone's season and because it's a, an offside flag's been raised, yeah. then you get away with it. You know, um, I just think that's an incredible 
message to send out. I think it's a dangerous one to send out, and um, the poor fans are now facing up to no Virgil van Dijk for the season. So it's it, it's just so disappointing and frustrating at a time when you think could have been avoided, couldn't it? Really, it's remarkable, Joe, and to think that the uh, technology that's that's that the whole point of it being there is to pick up on, on something like this. And, and you know, the first thing they said was that we were so busy looking at the uh, the offside, we forgot to look at the uh, the challenge. Now, I kind of believe that's probably what happened. They backtracked on that. But it sounds to me that because for only for, for the, no other reason, and how could you not? If you if you actually watched it, how could you not? How could you not come up with it with the decision? So it, it's frustrating, mate, to think it's gone this far and then retrospectively being ignored as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it beggars belief. Look, at retrospectively, it, it's terrible. On the day... I mean, if you look at it from all angles, for first of all, Michael Oliver, if you look at the, the footage, is standing right in front of it, in line with it. So how he has missed it, I don't know. Um, and then and then the VAR officials, well, there has been conflicting reports. I think, I think the latest one is that they did see it, but they didn't understand the application of the rules, so they didn't know that they could give a red card because of the offside when they could have done Um so, I mean, if that's the case, then that is just sheer incompetence. And I mean, that is their job to, to, to be that bad that it, it does beg a belief. Um, and then retrospectively, I cannot believe for the life of me that he's not been punished because, look, I mean, <laughs> oh, hang on, sorry, Gorsi's dog has just made his way onto the screen. That's brilliant. Me. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's just a um, weird funnel head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't believe it. And there's been, look, it's been a... It's been a strange week because, you know, personally, I've been quite upset and angry about it. You couldn't really help it as a when you boil down to just being a fan, and and that the, the sense of anger has been fueled by the fact that he's not been punished. And you know, I've seen a lot of people say, "Come on, just move on now." Then, well, how can you just move on when Liverpool are facing up to possibly their best player being out for seven months, and and not and not just that, but also you know potential implications for the rest of his career. We, we have no idea how he comes back from this and in what state. And, you know, Pickford hasn't even got the bare minimum of a three-match ban. And also, I, I must admit, I, I'm sure he has apologised. Well, I, I'm almost certain he's apologised uh, privately to Van Dyke. And I know that, you know, Jordan Henderson said after the game, he, he passed on his apologies. But there's been no public show remorse from, from Jordan Pickford whatsoever. Not even, you know, on the pitch, he didn't really look bothered. You know, it, it, it's and it's one thing to you know to say, come on, move on, but it would be a lot easier for everyone to accept if A he was punished and B he just had the decency to come out and say, God, you know, it's it's affected me. I've had a few bad days. You know, I can't believe what I've done. I'm sorry. It was reckless because nobody thinks. You know, I, I honestly think that anyone who's being sensible about it will believe that he, he never meant to do it. You know, he never went out there to hurt him, but it was stupid. It was reckless. It was a moment of madness. And he just deserves to be punished. That, that, that's all there is to it. Um, so yeah, it's it's crazy what went on. The decisions in the game were just bizarre, and and what followed afterwards has, has made it ten times worse. Yeah, absolutely right. And 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 what what rubs salt into the wound even more is there seems to be some campaign now to to stop poor Jordan Pickford getting character assassinated. <laughs> like, well, hang on a minute. You know, you can't moan about picking on him if he hasn't even come out like you said and said, and said how, how apologetic he was. All right, listen, let's leave it there. We will talk about the. We will talk about the the, uh, the Van Dyke aspect of it, of course, and of course Thiago's horrific challenge with uh, with, with Richardson, who falls into that bracket for me, that player of, of someone who, who who is essentially a good footballer, but absolutely ruins every single positive thing he's got about him by 
his demeanour, his 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 attitude, his scowl permanently, his 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 eagerness to hit the deck whenever he possibly can, uh, and and yet again another potential um, leg breaking challenge going right through uh, Thiago, who we end up you know losing um, losing the surfaces off um, till probably I don't know when he's going to be back, but uh, we certainly he certainly isn't making a a comeback in the next couple of games. I don't think Virgil Van Dijk out for the season. Uh, I mean, apart from anything else, it's a seventy-five million pound investment that's just that's just being put out on on a backtrack. Where do you think um, where do you think Paul this leaves Liverpool um, moving on? I'm talking specifically now as well about the high line that um, against Ajax, uh, Jurgen Klopp seems to uh, take a different tactic. Is that something that he's going to have to look at now because Virgil Van Dijk was such a key to that thing working? I think so. I think Joe Gomez works in that system because of his pace, but I'm not sure Joel Matip and certainly Fabinho doesn't kind of fit into that category. So it's just going to have to be a little bit of an adjustment. And I think it's huge for Gomez and Matip now to, to get a bit of a run together as a partnership. They haven't actually played together as a pairing, would you believe? Um, I think Klopp's used 35 or 36 different centre-back partnerships and, and those who haven't been one of them, which is incredible when you think that they've both been together at the club for... This, well, that this, tells a story in itself, doesn't it? Yeah, I think this might be the fourth season that they've, they've both been at the club. So, the uh, Matip's going to have to prove his fitness, which is something he hasn't been able to do over the last year. I think he's played 190 minutes in over a year. So, um, it's going to be huge for both to kind of step up and really show their seniority as Liverpool defenders. Um, and if not, then Fabinho has to kind of move further back into a position that isn't his natural one. And He's been excellent there so far, but it's a small sample size and um, you suspect that if he is to play there, there will be one or two little mishaps here and there, which will have to be, under, you know, the fans are going to have to understand that. So it's uh, really difficult. But I think for those three in particular, they're going to have to really step up now and, and show that there is life after Van Dijk because, um, you know, he's the world's best defender. He's the best centre-back I've ever seen at Liverpool um, and Liverpool are going to have to step up now. It's weird, isn't it, Joe? Because we were talking close while the transfer window was open, and and, and we we've, we've both banged on about this, you know, tongue in cheekly, but also uh, a secret desire, I think, to get someone like a Koulibaly alongside Van Dijk um, would have just. I mean, I've said it. You know, you might as well put a roller shutter on the goal. I mean, they they are two remarkable defenders for different for different reasons, really, as well. But Koulibaly is a brilliant defender as well, and obviously. You know, while the transfer window was on, it was it was it was more the Liverpool way to say, well, let's look at what we've got and let's nurture them alongside a Van Dijk, Matip, as Gorsi's just said, Matip, and Gomez have both proved themselves alongside Van Dijk. With Van Dijk pulled out the picture, and now that great stat saying that they haven't been paired together, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, whether there are people sort of silently kicking themselves um, in the in the in the boardrooms of Liverpool, thinking we should have got someone. Alongside, and they're talking now. I mean, we have heard speculative stuff about bids coming in for Koulibaly. I don't believe that for one second. Ben White has always also been put in. It's a little bit after the horse has bolted now, Joe. Well, uh, Klopp was quite um, wound up about this, wasn't he, on Monday? And even name dropped Jamie Carragher, which was slightly unfair because I don't think Carragher criticised Liverpool for it. But he essentially said, "Look, I I can't predict the problem before it comes." and you know, we can't have four world-class centre-halves who's going to play. But I do think, you know, looking at this summer, it's it's not so much that you would have had four centre-halves and one of them's never going to play because Matip, 
look, we've just talked about his injury record is is really poor. Joe Gomez's injury record's not too much better. Uh, Dejan Lovren, when he was there, he had a poor injury record. So I think anyone who would have come in would have got game time. So, you know, I, I don't really 100% believe Klopp when he says that. I mean, you know... I, also as well, sorry to dip in, Joe, but there is a, there is a big difference between internationals and world-class, isn't there? And yeah, Gomez yeah. and Matt about internationals, but they're not world-class. Yeah, and I think I think as well, a lot of people expected, you know, we spoke of a Clavant-type deal, and maybe those sorts of deals are on the table and that they're quite easy, sorry, quite difficult to pull off. But, you know, I do think Liverpool could have looked at this and gone, well, you know, we, we could have serious issues if, if we get a long-term injury. Um, but look, I, you know, I, I suspect that Liverpool would have been planning for next summer. Um, you know, we know that they plan in advance for transfer windows and they would have been looking to buy a centre-half next summer. And I think that they probably will bring things forward now and look whether they can bring that person in, in January, whether it is a Ben White or, the, I can never pronounce his name, the lad at Leipzig or Upekamo. Um So, you know, whether it's one of those two, you know, remains to be seen. But I, I certainly think Liverpool will have a list of, a list of targets they would have been looking at next summer. And I wonder whether they will start making inquiries for for January. But yeah, I do think, you know, I I do wonder whether some sort of deal could have been done this summer, um, you know, to try and solve that problem. But Pop was pretty strong about it the other day that that couldn't have been done. So you can only take him at face value. Yeah. Do you think, um, Paul, do you think that um, that Fabinho is is kind of first in Klopp's thoughts when it comes to a centre-back role now. I mean, you know, he's brilliant against Chelsea. He is one of those players who lacks pace, we know that, but seems to make up for that by, by he seems to have a bit of a spidey sense when it comes to blocking the ball, doesn't he? He's great for for putting his foot in the right place at the right time. Do you think he's someone that the club, and, and we know he's played in them positions, of course, for Brazil. Do you think rather than the Matip and Gomez link, and also as well, of course, with Matip's sketchy, uh, injury record. Do you think Fab is probably one of the first on the list to go down in that position now? I think so, yeah. I mean, even before Van Dijk's injury, um, Fabinho had already played there against Chelsea, hadn't he? And kept seeing up Timo Werner quiet that day. And I think it was an obvious tactic to try and pull on him as he, he was the, the one out of his natural position and, and the other defender alongside them was Van Dijk. So that obviously made sense. Um, I think um, teams attacking Liverpool now are going to have to think about it a little bit more if they're planning to do that because there's no there's no obvious weak link, really. I mean, I, I think Liverpool's midfield against Everton was was the perfect blend. It's got the, the athleticism and the drive of Henderson. Thiago's a, a brilliant player and I can't wait to watch him this season. And I think Fabinho's the best defensive midfielder Liverpool have had since since Javier Mascherano, which is, what, 10 years at least. So mm. that I think the only problem for that is the fact that it's going to take Fabinho out of his natural position. I wouldn't be too concerned with him playing there, you know, quite regularly because he's shown that he can do it and he was fantastic against Chelsea. I thought he was flawless on Wednesday night. It's just a shame that you're moving one of the elite players in his position out of, out of that role just because of, of a lack of numbers at centre-back. But needs must now for, well, until January, as Joe says. I think Liverpool will look to, to, to do something in January, bring something forward six months. Um, but Liverpool have just got to muddle on as best they can. But um, I do think it is a big opportunity for Gomez. Uh, Matter has to, to show that he can stay fit. Um, whether he will or not is a different question entirely. But um, particularly for Gomez, it's a big, big few months for him in, in his Liverpool career. 
Yeah, absolutely, Joe, it is, isn't it? And I, I mean, we're all fans of Joe Gomez, no doubt about that. He just tends to have a mistake or two in the locker every now and again, doesn't he? And, um, uh, he was, he, I mean, he had a shambolic game against Villa, didn't he? Let's be honest with you. It was probably the worst performance he's ever put in, in the red shirt. So he's bounced yeah. back. He's, you know, he's bounced back. He, he was solid enough. Uh, I suppose in one way, it's, it's good that we've, we we seem to have a, um, a fairly well-stocked shelf when it comes to midfield players, because obviously we've got Cater. Um, you know, Minamino, we've got different options there for the midfield. So it's not inconceivable that Fab could could be asked to step out of the role. And we do have personnel to time to kind of fill in, not necessarily in a holding role, but I suppose that's what Case was brought in for as well, wasn't it? Exactly. I think they've got plenty of options now. You know, I think we'll see Thiago drop deep. Henderson can drop deep. Wijnaldum played deep on Wednesday against Ajax. So Liverpool have got options there. I, I suspect... I mean, I know it is a small sample size, but I suspect Fabinho will keep his place just because of how well he played and how well he has played in, in, in the times that he's played centre-half. Um, although, saying that, I thought Matty played very well in the derby, looked quite strong, good in the air. Um, and then Gomez, I thought, on Wednesday night especially, grew into the game. And in the derby as well, to be fair, and, and played very well. Um, the thing about Gomez, I think, is he, he just benefits from having Van Dijk alongside him, and now is yeah. the test when he doesn't um, it might be the making of him might it? it might really help him and it, he might come on and it might almost prove to him because I think there's sometimes a little bit of a you know it's, it's tempting to put all the praise on Van Dyke, isn't it and say whoever whoever's his partner just benefits from being alongside him but maybe it'll be the making of Gomez because he's probably going to play more than anyone else there um, so hopefully and he, he's obviously a good player but he's, he's still very young for a centre-half yeah. I think it's easy to forget centre-half's a bit like goalkeepers tend to get better with age, don't they? Late 20s, early 30s tend to be at their peak. So Gomez is still very young. Um, he's just very experienced for that age, isn't he? So I, I think Liverpool have got great options in midfield. Um, I, I agree with Gorsi. The only shame is that we won't see... You know, I thought that midfield against um, against Everton was just outstanding. I thought it really was. Like, the absolute business. The, the, the player that everyone hoped he would be. Henderson just was, was covered every... Lay the grass was aggressive. Was a, was a leader. Obviously, popped up at the end with a, what should have been a winning goal, and with that that element to his game. And then uh, Fabinho so strong. But you know, perhaps Liverpool won't need that in every game. And when they're at home to say Sheffield United this weekend, you can afford to to rotate that midfield a little bit. And they've got Axel Chamberlain to come back as well. He's another option as well. So plenty plenty in the middle there to 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 make up a midfield. And hopefully as well, Ghosty, we've got Alisson coming back. They're talking about the West Ham game, aren't you, I think? But of course, he's injured as well. Adrian's been in for a fair bit of stick, but uh, certainly against Ajax tonight, I, I, I don't think we can underestimate how well he did for us there. And, and I think a bit of positive kind of script um, on, on Adrian is something that he needs and everyone else needs to just realise, you know, Alisson are big boots to fill. Against the derby, uh, in the derby, uh, he looked panicky, didn't he? He looked unsure, and it must be terrible to just be able to to, to be handed the gloves and say step in for that bloke. But against uh, against Ajax United, he, 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 you know, he he was stopped two one on one certainly, didn't he? He made that great save with his foot in the first half, didn't he? And I'm not sure whether the offside flag would have gone up if that had mm. gone in, but he wasn't to know that. Um, he was solid enough. I thought at the end he, he dropped one, which um, the, the substitute with the name I can't pronounce, he put it over the bar. Um, but other than that, it was, it was solid enough, and, and he just needs a few more of those, doesn't he? You know, um, nothing major happening. You just just get through it and put in a decent enough performance, and, and just let the confidence grow. But um, it was good to see his, his kicking was noticeably different. He wasn't looking to try and pick a man out with his passes. He wasn't trying to 
replicate what Alisson does so well. He was just focusing on getting it up the pitch and, and you know, moving the danger away because I think that's where he can come unstuck when he starts trying to play the passes in, in the mould that Alisson does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he comes through unscathed, clean sheet. That'll have done his confidence a world of good. And it does look like Alisson's on the mend. We, we were told earlier this week that Alisson is, is back in training. He's, he's on to falling and diving and showing no ill effects of, of that shoulder injury. So it's all looking positive on that score. Um, but Liverpool need him back sooner rather than later, don't they, if Van Dijk's not going to be there. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Moving on to the Ajax game then, Joe. It, it was the first time that we've seen this the kind of recalculation by Klopp and this decision to, to not play that high line. and um, uh, So it was a different different tactical formation in that respect. Do you think that's something, as I said earlier on, the, the, the front three then, that link, the transitions between midfield and the front three are going to have to, they're going to have to hit the ground running, aren't they, really? Because I think if we do have a bit of a chink in the armour when it comes to, 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 to the back four and um, then the front three are going to have to sort of start picking up a bit of uh, picking up the, the the weight a little bit, Aldi, and start and trying to provide more. Um, I mean, Manny's been sensational. Uh, to be fair, as Salah has, but it does feel as though there's been a sort of a lack of the the multiple opportunities that they normally get in front of goal, doesn't it? And that's that's going to have to get itself back together, isn't it? I see what you mean. Yeah, they don't seem to. You know, it, it seemed for a time that they were all having three or four chances a game, uh, but I think. Salah and Mane have started the season exceptional form, the two of them. I think the other night was a lot more dogged, wasn't it? We'll see whether that is the thing for Liverpool coming forward. But, um, you know, I think getting Thiago back will be key because, the, you know, what, what we saw against Everton is his ability to play balls from deep and, and make chances and get Liverpool into dangerous areas from further back in the pitch and, and just out of nowhere, really. If you look at that, the goal that Henderson should have scored against Everton, his pass for it is a disguised pass yeah. down the pitch, isn't it? From Unbelievable. And it, it's just an unreal pass, isn't it? It's such a, such a good pass. And I don't think Liverpool had anyone in midfield capable of making passes like that before he came along. So he, he's a totally new weapon for Liverpool and could come in really handy right now with, with no, you know, if they can't play as high a line, then it, it would be good to have someone like him playing those sorts of passes. Um, but, you know, at, after Van Dijk went off against Everton, what what really you know gave me confidence was that they played so well that they carried on creating opportunities that they they dominated the ball, and I still think it's easy to get it's easy to to, to get negative about Van Dijk, but you know who can boast the players that Liverpool have got? No team in the league, you know, not even City anymore can can boast you know the players all over the pitch, the two fullbacks, the goalkeeper. You know any sort of midfield combination and the front three with Salah and Mane in the form that they've, they've showed. I mean, Salah's finish against Everton was was just world class, wasn't it? You know, it, and he seems to start the season in supreme form in terms of finishing. He just seems to be able to finish everything right now. So, so yeah. So I, I you know, I, I think there's lots of reasons for Liverpool to be positive, and I think Thiago could become a real key man um, if Liverpool are going to have to play a little bit deeper. Is there any? Uh, I'm not quite sure. You guys can already fill me in. Is there? Is there an expectation of when he's coming back? Thiago. Oh, Thiago. Uh, we were told after after the derby that Liverpool were not as as concerned as initially thought. So um, I think the idea was that he was going to sit out the Ajax game and then potentially could be available. 
hopefully it will be good news. I think it will be. It, it did sound positive from, from what I was told last week. Um, and I'm, I'm just looking forward to watching him regularly this season. It feels like he's yet to get going. I mean, as, as good as he was against Everton and he had the 45 minutes against Chelsea, um, doesn't feel like he, he's caught fire yet, which is a, a great prospect to think about because he's been great. But I just think once he gets a little bit of a run, run of games, he's going to really show what he can do. And um, he, he's a world-class player, no question. Yeah, the um, the form of uh, of Bobby Firmino, um, it, 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 it's something that people are talking about quite a lot these days. He, he puts a shift in, doesn't he? But it, it, there's no doubt that the, the that the amount of goals he's getting is drying up, uh, has dried up considerably. Um, do you think? Do you think there's a there's more of a, a of a thing in his mindset now where when he gets the ball he's trying to feed in the other two or or just. Do you think there's a difference in the way that the tactics are being played that he's not? Because we talk about a front three, but really speaking, it's 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 Mane and Salah are banging in the goals, isn't it? And Bobby just seems to be sort of floundering a little bit. Are we just are we in a position where we think we've seen the best of Bobby Firmino, or is there a way that he can maybe pick this up and and it's not playing to his strengths, Joe? I think just on first glance, he looks a bit deeper, doesn't he? I thought he looked quite deep against Ajax, and I thought his first touch. I saw Owen tweeted during the game saying like. Just love watching his first touch, and it, it was on the turn. He's so good on the turn, isn't he? But he did seem considerably. I mean, maybe it was just me, but I just thought he can seem considerably deeper. And no, he, he played the other day for Brazil, didn't he? And they played him much higher up, and he scored. Scored, yeah, yeah. He's still, yeah, he's, he's still capable of it. It's probably just the way Liverpool play a little bit. But I just think he plays every game, doesn't he? And I, I, I would like to see him have just a breather. You know, even if it's just a couple of games spell. Because, you know, one of the guys I've banged on about him in every pod I've been in, but I just think Minamino looks great at the moment. He, mm. he, he looked dangerous when he came on the other night. He's, he seems confident. He, he's having shots. He just seems involved. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see Minamino there again, um, you know, just because it would just, it would give Liverpool a different weapon and, and take Firmino out the team and give him a bit of a, a break and, and take the spotlight off him a little bit. Um, that's not to say he couldn't come back and, and still be the player he is, but um, yeah, it just just seems a bit deeper. I do wonder whether Liverpool are playing him a little bit deeper this season and pushed Salah and Mane even further higher up. And and look, they're getting the goals, aren't they? So if it works, it works. But yeah, I don't, I don't know whether I'm concerned or not because let's face it, you know, he, he didn't have the most the best season last season, did he? And Liverpool won the league, so I don't care if he scores zero goals this season and Liverpool win the league again. But yeah, there just seems to be something a little bit off there, but I can't quite put my finger on it. There was a moment during the Ajax game where there was a ball over the top and it come right over, and I just thought there might have been a, a, a Bobby a Bobby in past seasons who would have just had to go on the volley, and he and he brought it down. His first instinct, I think, is always to get it onto the floor, isn't it? Try and do something with it. And it just didn't work for him on that occasion, and I wonder whether there's a there's there's also a bit of a dip in confidence as well, of course, which is such a, a massive part of any striker's armoury in it, football in general. But I think in front of goal, you need that little slice of confidence, don't you? And I think he, I think he's just lacking that now. Well, hopefully he'll be back anyway. I mean, Bobby, Bobby, the, well, like you've just said, Joe, the way he does without yeah. putting the balls in the net are, are, are equal to uh, to anyone else anyway. I've just got a bit of a theory because I was watching the PSG game the other night and watching the likes of the Neymars and that who, who were just really underachieving and really, they looked really dispassionate about it. I was, You know, when you look at the leagues, guys, at the moment and you look at who's in, on top, I mean, you've got 
the league is being led by Real Sociedad. And here, of course, you've got Everton and Villa in the top two. And it's all over, really. It's th- there are some really unlikely teams topping the European leagues at the moment. And I just wonder, when I was talking to me lads, you know, everyone's watching football, and all this lack of fans, it almost feels to me at times that it's levelled the playing field a bit, in a sense that when you have world-class footballers, they need, I think they need fans, they need to be to be energised, they need that that feeling of, of stepping up to it in, in the spotlight. And so your Neymars of the world and, and you know, your world-class footballers will really feed off the energy that a crowd gives. Equally, the lesser talented teams and players possibly get intimidated by the crowds and with them not being there, it feels to me like there it's, it's, it's almost levelled the playing field when it comes to teams. Do you, do you think that's a, do you think that carries any weight that or do you think I've had a bang on the head? I think there's something in it. I think if you look at how dominant Bayern Munich were last season, um, and then they got beat 4-1, I think, by Hoffenheim. Uh, I was watching Real Madrid before the Liverpool game on, on Wednesday. They were 3-0 down to a Shakhtar team who had 15 or so players out with the coronavirus. Um, and and they obviously got beat. Um, ended up losing 3-2. Um, Liverpool obviously went to Villa and conceded the most goals for was it 57 years or something. So, um, Man City have lost... Conceded five at home to Leicester. United conceded six against Tottenham. There's definitely some, something in that. Um, I think it's just an intangible thing of people who don't play the game, you know, the likes of us. I think only as a, as a top-level professional, you'd know the, the kind of direct effect that has, and it, it will have. But um, certainly think that there is something in it, just because of how strange it, it's been already this season. Well, I mean, Joe, just to pick up on what Paul said there, I mean, the, Re- the Real Madrid performance was... When you looked at it to a man, it was dreadful. <laughs> and these, these these are players. And what I've I've noticed in a lot of these matches is this lack that lack of intensity between some of these big teams. And like Paul's just said, you know the results have been bonkers. And you've got I think you've got Lille ahead of in the uh, the uh, well you call it Ligue 1, but it's the Uber Eats now, isn't it? <laughs> the, ball get, the ball gets delivered by an Uber driver, doesn't it, before the game? And and uh, I. <laughs> Which is the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. He, he takes the ball. He comes in on a moped and takes the ball off the, out of a bo- out of a box. Um, it's the tackiest thing I've ever seen. It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> I just want someone to bring a kebab out for the left. Um, but it just feels to me like the, like the, the, the Neymar's of the world just need that little bit of. It's. I mean, it's getting to the point now where it's getting really, really hard to to put up with the fact that the atmospheres. Some of them just look like training ground games, don't they, John? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's spot on. I definitely think there's something that, that, that you know, the change is, is, is levelling the playing field. I think it will work both ways, though, because I think that you'll take away, say, you know, Sheffield United will pull the home tomorrow, but if you're going away, you know, in, in the past when there's fans there, you know, the atmosphere and the, the, the doggedness of the players might make it into a, a real battle, whereas I think you will see more teams going away from home to, you know, some of the lower sides and, and then just trouncing them because there's no fans. But, but it'll work the opposite way because teams won't be intimidated when they come to Anfield. So I do think like it it does level the playing field, but I think you will see all the, the cream rise to the top. You know, the, the, the best teams have got better squads and, and better players, and I think towards the end of the season you will see it. But I, I just think that most leagues, like the Premier League this year, I can imagine whoever wins it might get beaten five, six times. You know, I... I just don't think you're going to see that 98 points or 97 points that you've seen in the in in the past, because it it just seems like already the top teams are having a little bit of a wobble, um, 
and aren't being able to to sort of replicate that crazy form that they have in recent years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I watched the Real Madrid one the other night. It just looks so flat. The atmosphere is a bit terrible. It's, it, it's a it's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? And you know, the sooner the, the whole world goes back to normal, the better. But yeah, I mean, the games aren't. Um, I just don't find football anywhere near as fun. You know, I don't I don't really. You know, sometimes it, you like watching. I enjoyed the end of the Champions League last year when you, you know, you were watching the likes of Bayern and PSG play each other, and it was quite interesting. But now, just find it. You know, that Real Madrid game the other night. I know there was a lot of goals, a bit of action, but the soul's missing, isn't it? You know, do, I don't care if there's the twenty goals. Yeah, I don't care if there's twenty goals in the game. Yeah. There's just no, there's no passion, and that's the difference. Was what was the what was the the, the reason for that, Paul? I don't know, actually. I put it on and, and I, th- I looked at it and thought, that's not the Bernabeu. That's not the Bernabeu, yeah. And say on commentary, the two playing at the training ground. I'm not sure why it was explained. I mean, imagine Liverpool playing at Melwood, playing a game, a Champions League game at Melwood. It's just, I'm not sure what it was, but I mean, nothing surprises you anymore, does it, at the moment? I mean, if that's the case, then then the, the fact that they, that they got beat 3-2 is, 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 uh, is testament to, to their attitude towards that game, really, isn't it? Guy Clark has just been on his little chat things popped up and said Ben about being renovated. So right. There's your answer. To be fair, actually, that's not bad, is it? If the main stand had been done this year, then we should try and get the Annie Road done as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. should try and do it. Yeah. Try and do it while he can. Uh, talking to Liverpool in the board no, uh, as well. That, that's my ring doorbell just going off there. Um, <laughs> it's great. You get to with a mop. You get you get to know when a moth flies past you, you uh, your camera at <laughs> three in the morning. It's tremendous, um, and and even worse is the advert on TV, which replicates the ring doorbell and sends my dog bonkers. Um, this uh, so one of you fill me in on, on on the recent kind of boardroom thing at Liverpool and Man United with it, with this whole um, let's branch off and do our own league thing and and and, and where it all got. Does anyone know? I mean, Ghosty's pulling at her face like, <coughs> don't ask me that, Fitz. I haven't got a clue. <coughs> what exactly was the idea of this? Because I, I didn't really get the full story of it anyway, but it seemed to be a bit strange. Um, so the, the project big picture proposals come out, didn't they? Because um, that much has happened now, I'm trying to think back what it was. So Liverpool and Manchester United's owners were kind of leading the charge to, to reform the pyramid structure of English football, and it would have resulted in two teams being dropped out from the 92. Yeah. So um, 18 in the Premier League, um, £250 million bailouts, which is kind of the dangled carrot to the football league saying, get on board with this and yeah. we can all make your troubles go away, which is, it all just felt a little bit cynical and opportunistic, but there were some good points in there. It wasn't a complete look at these greedy gets. Um, there, there was one or two things which made sense. Um, others didn't, particularly the ring fencing of the decision-making um, to the point where if six of the nine longest-serving teams in the Premier League Said yes on the decision, and then that went through regardless of, of the, the yeah, twenty that, teams that, in it or the eighteen. That was a um, strange one, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, at the moment it's fourteen. Fourteen have to sign off on the decision before something comes to pass, which feels a little bit better than than six of nine, doesn't it? Um, and the fact that Southampton are, are declared as one of the longest serving in the division just because they've hung around there since twenty thirteen or whatever it was, it's just it, it, it didn't quite sit right with a lot of people. And then they've obviously um, talkers has risen of a of a European breakaway league, which never really seems to, to stay too far away from the, the headlines. Does that mean that just sounds like a, a nonsense to me? I hope that doesn't get anywhere near off the well, ground. It's, all, it's always floating around, isn't it? But it never, it never yeah. seems to get very far, does it? 
No, I mean, it's, 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 it's money. It's like it? a third yeah, series of Phoenix Knights. It's always floating around, but it's never good. <laughs> well, at least people want so, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I always find that I, I never even bothered reading the reports about the European Super League because it, it crops up once a season. And I was just think none of the fans are going to get on board with that. You know, like, what what's going to happen? Liverpool going to play away to, like, you know, Paris on a Tuesday night and, and, and then be it. Be at the Bernabeu on a Saturday. Yeah, I, don't, I, I can never see it happening, so I, I never even bother like worrying about that. But the other stuff, you know, I, I kind of think there's so much hypo- hypocrisy around because, like, on one hand, yeah, Liverpool and United were very opportunistic and definitely trying to drive home their position. But then some of the smaller clubs, like Crystal Palace, were turning their nose up at the thought of having to pay any money down to to a team down in the league that they were that they were in not so long ago. And then they agreed what, like an eighteen million pound bailout package. So after all that, you know, the, the money that Liverpool and United were proposing, they never even got anywhere near. So, you know, as much as I think some of the, the Premier Leagues and I say in inverted commas, smaller clubs had to go at United and Liverpool for, for being self centered. You know, they were no different because they ended up hardly giving the FL any money. So everyone's just in it for themselves. And I, I, you know, Liverpool and United just tend to be the the higher end of the food chain, don't they? Yeah, it's a probably well, it's probably a couple of things as well. It's, it's probably the fact that they're owned by Americans and Canadian businessmen, yeah. aren't they? Who are always, they're always trying to look for the next big thing. I suppose it's probably more than anything else. The timing of it seems a bit strange, doesn't yeah. it? I think, yeah. You know, in situ- in the situation we're all in now, I don't think it's an it's a good idea to start sort of being a bit megalomanic when it comes to making decisions that, that affect a lot of other people. All right, let's move away from that then. Let's talk about m- more about um, the next six fixtures coming up for Liverpool. Um, three, The next three matches are home games, Sheffield United. Remember the Sheffield United game last year that took a, when Alden's kind of spilled, I mean, their keeper Henderson was brilliant as well. He's gone back to United, hasn't he now? But he, he was great and, and, and flawless that day, apart from... Thankfully, that one little spillage. But they're a tough side. They've stumbled a little bit again. It, it, you feel like maybe the intensity that... Because obviously some teams like Sheffield United thrive with a crowd behind them. Don't think they need that little boost and that, 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 that you know, the 12th man type thing. Um, they've struggled a little bit, but uh, still with the opponents, though. Yeah, very much. I, was, I think that they struggle with goals, don't they? That was their big issue, which is why they've um, spent a club record fee on Rian Brewster. So... Be interesting to see if he, if he plays. He never got to make his Premier League debut for Liverpool, but someone who um, I know the club had massive hopes for, and they kind of feel that this deal was was great for them because um, they've got a buyback clause for three seasons. So if he if he catches fire there and shows himself to be good enough for Liverpool, then they can bring him back at, at a certain fee. Um, so I'm looking forward to see how, how, seeing how he gets on. Actually, you know, long term at Sheffield United. Other than that, you've got the likes of McGoldrick and, and McBurney up top who. Uh, not probably going to strike fear into the heart of, of Liverpool's defenders, but they do have a, a a nice way of playing under Chris Wilder, where they they play three at the back and and the, the third defender kind of joins the attacks as the extra man. So um, it'll be difficult, but you know if Liverpool are going to retain this title, then you've got to be looking at, at three points for this one. Um, so it's um, it, it's one you you'd fancy Liverpool all day long, I'd, I'd say. It's a tricky thing, isn't it, Joe? Because one of the things I was going to mention about the lack of Van Dijk and what we missed from him is that when Van Dijk went off, um, I would have put him uh, stopping both them Everton goals. 
Uh, Keynes was a bullet header, decent header, but he always, Van Dijk's one of his gifts is that he always seems to be able to find them. He always seems to be able to get in, head in first. And certainly, Carver Lewin's second one, Gomez was 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 out of position for it. He had, you'd had him out climbing. I mean, he leaped like a salmon anyway, but he was out climbing Andy Robertson, which, you know, you, you, you're onto a losing thing there anyway. It's not one of his strengths, is it? That's the only problem with me when 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 we come up against teams that have players like McBurney and, and 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 you know, and we've got West Ham coming up with, with Mikel Antonio. They're strong physical players, aren't they? And you, it, it is a worry that we're missing someone who is as strong and as physical and, and always seems to have the upper hand on these kind of players. And these are the tests for the, for, for Joe Gomez, aren't they? Because um, those strong players who will jump up mid, you, you 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 have to hope that he finds his feet when it comes to to to, to um, fight back against those strong players on the floor, shoulder to shoulder, but also um, jumping up and stopping their medals. Definitely. But set, set pieces I, I am worried big time about now because, like, yeah, exactly. When he when he went off the other day, first it might have been the first corner Everton got. They went and scored from, and I like you think like, I, I just think Van Dijk would have been there. You know, I yeah. think he would have he would have been in that zone. And you know, the best players. I was thinking the same for Hippier. He was like a magnet to the ball when yeah, it was a little set piece. He was always seemed to he always seemed to come and meet it. Van Dijk's the same. Do you know what though? Again, Fabinho I thought was very good the other night. Um, seemed to be a magnet when it when he came when it came to crosses and, and set pieces. So it'd be good if he can if he can show something similar. Um, but yeah, I think that that would be the test of Liverpool these set pieces and just giving away the stupid goals that contain games. Um, so you know, Sheffield United is probably a good test, isn't it, to begin with? Liverpool got a couple of home games now, and you'd, you'd expect them to come through them. But they certainly need to just get a couple of wins on the board and just get rid of any doubts. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm quite confident. Just think. They played so well against Everton, and if they can get Thiago back into midfield, I'd be quite be quite confident um, that they'll they'll do the business. Yeah, you mentioned Rian Brewster, uh, Paul. Well, what do you think of his mindset? And, and you know the Harry Wilsons of the world, the Ben Woodburns. You know the the players that almost get to the fringes, almost get there, and then season after season, the Gruiches as well. Season after season, when they go, well, you're not quite there, so we'll farm you off again. There must be a a terrible feeling of, of 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 resentment building up in these players, do you not think? I mean, Liam Bruce is going to take to the pitch tomorrow, having tasted all his all, all, all the kind of the fringe success he's had with Liverpool without actually really contributing in any major way. And do you think that's his incentive? What do you, you know? Is he going to go out and say, "Right, I want to smash three against you. I want to prove to you that that uh, you're letting me go for the wrong reasons and and you were wrong to do it and it's it's uh, it's some incentive to have and it's it's quite a foreboding one for Liverpool, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, I think the players you mentioned, I think they've just been unlucky by Liverpool's progression. I think three or four years ago, a Marco Gruwich of today or a Harry Wilson of today would have would have half a chance of, of featuring a lot more. Um, so I think they've been unlucky in that regard. But Brewster as well, I, th- I think he's been a little bit unfortunate in terms of the timing, the financial issues and restraints that Liverpool have been forced to work under because of the, the pandemic, where they're looking to bring in you know, sh- you know, know, senior players like Jota and, and Thiago and, and they haven't had a whole lot of, of money to do that. So I think they've been, they've had to kind of skillfully manoeuvre with some of the transfers and, and Brewster has mm-hmm. fallen foul of that. Liverpool obviously got a decent fee for him and, and they know that he's a player they're a massive fan of, so they put that kind of buyback clause in there over the rest of the years. So I think, well, if he's going to show that he's up to it, which we think he can, 
then we can bring them back. So I, th- I think they will have had to kind of box clever in the market. And unfortunately, he's, he's just been collateral damage. Um, I mean, Liverpool are already out the Carabao Cup by the time he'd made the move, I think, anyway. So he wouldn't have featured until January at the earliest, I'd imagine, with the, the options that Liverpool have got at the moment. Um, so I think he's just been a little bit unlucky. But I, I do think there is something in the fact that he's he's going to be taken to the pitch at Anfield tomorrow if he does play and, and he'll have a little bit of a point to prove. But um, I think given his, his inexperience at the moment, I think the Liverpool centre-backs would fancy themselves to, to keep him quiet. Well, they'll know all about how he plays the game, won't he, certainly. Mm. And we have, we have to mention um, the young kid who came on against Ajax there towards the end there, Williams, isn't it? Rich I mean, Williams. Rich Williams, what an extraordinary kind of story for that kid. I mean, he was, what, was he non-league a couple of seasons ago? Um, the, the only last season, wasn't he? He's like a Van Dyke cosplay, isn't he? So, <laughs> just like, yeah. With a lovely big bun on the back. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I like him. With, you know, he looked he looked good in the um in the league cup. Be interesting to see what because he, he looks good in the air, doesn't he? And yeah. Obviously, playing in those leagues, um, you know, you, you're gonna have to be quite good in the air. So, you know, <laughs> you never know. Do you? Stranger things have happened. But you know, whether he can come in at any point and, and show himself, show some good form, that that would be that'd be interesting to see. Well, decent. Go on, sorry, Paul. No, I was just gonna say. I think it's interesting that he's the one who's been chosen at the time and. Matt Phillips is about three or four years older than him and, and he's played Bundesliga 2 football and, and we hear so much about how much Billy Cometti was rated that it's Williams who, who's getting a nod when he's absolutely needed. So, um, and it's, Sepp van der Berg as well. It's, 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 yeah, it's yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a big big few months for Williams. Um, if they bring someone in in January, then so be it. But I think he might get a little bit of a, of a look in between now and then. Well, we sit here talking about it, so you can you can be guaranteed that whatever kind of issues we're raising, Jurgen Klopp has already raised them and is already looking at ways around them because you know that's what makes him the best manager in the world. So the next six fixtures: Sheffield United at home. How do you pronounce these? Midgieland? <laughs> no idea. Not a clue. Like I said, like, like I said in my last pod, it sounds like a really crap theme park, doesn't it? Go on, what? <laughs> Uh, we've got them at home as well. So it's Sheffield United at home, um, Midgieland um, at home, and then West Ham at home as well, of course. And then Atalanta, Atalanta sitting on top of the table with the 3-0 win, of course. Um, and a tough tough opponents themselves, guys. Yeah, scoring yeah. goals, don't they? Um, they're very, very um, adventurous, aren't they? And, and um, I think it's Gasparini, their manager. He's, he's really got them playing the last few years. I remember seeing them in the Europa League game against Everton of maybe three or four years ago, and they absolutely battered them um, yeah. in, in Italy, in, in Bergamo. Um, so th- th- they're certainly one of the kind of emerging teams in, in Europe at the moment. So uh, that'll, that'll be an interesting couple of games against them. Yeah, it will be. And then after, of course, I always do the sixth fixtures. The sixth fixture then is a, a little-known club called Man City away at their ground. So, But like you say, plenty of twists and turns, guys, isn't it? And this, it seems like a really strange league to suit a really strange time, doesn't it? <laughs> um, they, are, they, are, they, are, they seem to be hand in glove. All right, boys, thank you very much, Paul Ghost. Always a pleasure to see you, mate. Hope your dog's here. What is it? What's, what's with the, uh, the space funnel on its head? Oh, he's, he's had his, um, he's had a certain operation which uh, young gents oh, wow. get. Yeah, young gents, the, yeah. Young gents. just just young dogs. Young, Not well, yeah, <laughs> young, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Really, uh, really uh, young gents. Yeah, <laughs> Getting well, involved. Yeah, ah, bless him. Looking at you with sad eyes, and say, "What have you done that for, Dad?" <laughs> um, 
And Joe, thanks very much, pal, as well. Always a pleasure to see you two lads. And um, onwards and upwards, it is a strange season, as we've said. But uh, whatever questions we're raising, as I say, Jürgen Klopp, no doubt, has the headaches to prove it. But I'm sure he can find a way through. We have the talent. We've mentioned that before. We have more than enough uh, on that pitch to be able to guide us through any kind of dark time. Uh, everyone listening, thank you once again uh, for your support. Keep safe. Wash your hands. Do all that stuff. Wear your mask. Don't wear your mask, but leave your nose over the top. But don't get on my nerves, that. Come on. You're better than that, people. Uh, Joe Rimmer and Paul Ghost. We'll see you again soon on the next Poetry in Motion. You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.